This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis, and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Yeah, I remember that moment thinking to myself, like, oh, man, this is bad. And not knowing it was a spinal injury, everyone's trying to get me up. And I'm literally standing with a burst fractured spine. Vision's going, got that, like, horrific tunnel vision uh, and at that point I knew something was wrong. Ski Patrol comes and... Hello, hello, hello. My name is Adam and this is the Adamance Podcast. And today we hear from, we just heard from, Austin Becker. He is the founder of Mountainborn Media, as well as their creative director, as well as a skier, um, and as well as a... I don't know, a human who has struggled with substance abuse in the past. So we kind of get into all that. We get into all of the struggles um, at a very baseline level that he has been through and bring ourselves up to 2024. Kind of check in with him there. So uh, I really enjoyed this one. As I always say, I feel like I say that every single time, but this is a phenomenal episode. Um, We do talk about, obviously, addiction, mental health issues, and all of that stuff. So if you are sensitive to that kind of thing, just be aware that that's pretty much what we get into right off the bat. Before we jump into the episode, we have a couple of wonderful partners for today, one of which is our friends at Deuter. Deuter makes some of the best bags on planet Earth. If you have a big mission, a big tour something that you're trying to check off a box this spring in the backcountry. They make an awesome pack for you. The free rider is what I use most often. It's the most comfortable one. It's the right size. It comes in a 34. And that's usually what fits me best in terms of being able to just have a pack that is fits everything I need, but isn't overkill. Um, perfect size, extremely durable. All that good stuff. You can go to deuter.com, D-E-U-T-E-R.com, and get yourself set up today with a new pack. We also have Fisher Skis as a partner for the pot. Fisher is has been our one of our longest partners, probably our longest running partner at this point. They make the best gear on planet Earth as far as hard goods go. If you're looking for a new boa boot, Fisher has you covered. Um, They have, for my money, the best fitting ones, the most comfortable ones, and obviously the most performance-oriented ones. So if you're looking for more information on that stuff, please hit up fishersports.com and uh, you can check out all of the product offerings there as well as at your local retailers. And per usual, if you have gear questions, feel free to shoot me an email at outofpodcast.com and I will uh, try to get you all the help I can if I can help you certainly direct you in correct direction so once again fishersports.com get yourself hooked up today and without further ado here is my friend and yours austin becker austin tell people who you are a little bit about yourself and then we can take it from there yeah absolutely so my name is austin becker Um, I am a skier based out of Denver, Colorado, originally from Big Bear, California. Uh, I was born and raised in the town, 
right next to Big Bear, Lake Arrowhead. Um, but Bear Mountain was my 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 home mountain, so I was a park rat for most of my upbringing. We ski Sierra Cement, um, so anytime there was fresh snow, you go to Mammoth, which is just as heavy and uh, <laughs> Sierra Cementy. But Mammoth was kind of my second home. Uh, I grew up really throughout my whole childhood. I was competing in racing. Racing then went into freestyle stuff. Uh, and right around like 17 or 18, I was realizing that I could kind of start taking this thing to the next level. Um, I went out to CU Boulder. <clears throat> still competing in events. Uh, and freshman year of college is when my big accident happened. Um, so I was up at Canyons uh, in Utah, yep. skiing with a buddy of mine, John Michael Fabrizi, Jordan Ramiro. We're up in the park, like routine day, having a couple beers, enjoying like the last day of the trip and just over-rotated a front flip and landed kind of on my neck from... <clears throat> like 35, 40 feet up um, and had burst fractures from T2 to T8 through my thoracic spine. Jesus Christ. Um, and that really changed my life really forever. Um, yeah. I kind of, in, in the moment, I knew something was wrong. Um, I've broken everything you can imagine being a park rat over the years, just collarbones and arms and all this stuff. And, you know, you try and walk it off. And, uh, yeah, I remember that moment thinking to myself like, Oh man, this is bad. And not knowing it was a spinal injury, everyone's trying to get me up. <clears throat> and I uh. literally standing with a burst fractured spine Vision's going, got that like horrific tunnel vision. Uh, and at that point, I knew something was wrong. Ski patrol comes, and um, that snowmobile ride from the canyon side all the way to the front of Park City was uh, probably the most horrific five to 10 minutes of my life. They kind of put you in like a body bag on these things, they like mm -hmm. the plastic. And the only thing exposed is is my nose and mouth. And the snowmobile is kicking up like tons of snow and it's landing directly on my face. And I'm in like a five point hold in this thing, face getting covered in snow. Uh, I was rushed to University of Utah Trauma Center. Uh, and that is, you know, where I kind of got the news and it was in the moment unbelievable you know we think we're invincible uh like i said competing in freestyle skiing you break a lot of bones and it's kind of part of the job and this this was different um and i knew i really knew my life was about to change in a lot of ways uh that was also the first time that I was prescribed Oxycontin, which mm. also changed my life forever. Um, 
So I went into, you know, tons of physical therapy, uh, masking the physical and emotional pain with Oxycontin. And I had, you know, I was a normal high school kid smoking weed and partying on the weekends and experimenting. But, you know, I was a freshman in college. I didn't know what the hell Oxycontin was or any of these, mm -hmm. like, harder drugs. And uh, <clears throat> that was, like, that was the, the lowest point in my life, six to nine months of really just being in, like, they converted my my room at home basically into a hospital room. So, like, a company came in, and I had to move back in with my parents, and I couldn't shower uh, by myself. I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. It was, yeah, it was humiliating. And I had to really relearn how to do everything, walk, eat, use the bathroom. Skiing was not even, I thought I had totally lost skiing. I thought that was totally off the table. And that whole time I was unbeknownst to me really liking this Oxycontin. Uh, mm. Eventually the prescriptions dry up. Uh, I found solace in alcohol and the next several years were a downward spiral of, of severe addiction um, ended up on the streets, uh, lost everything. All the sponsors, ski sponsors were gone. The family was sick and tired of me. Friends were absolutely sick and tired of me. And, uh, yeah, I found myself homeless on the streets of Boston. I had never been to Boston. I got sent to a rehab there and ran off and found myself on the streets for, about three months until I decided, all right, it's it's time to get my life together. So that uh, <clears throat> that's the long-winded intro for Austin Becker. <laughs> it's it's crazy, man. Like that that kind of stuff happens every day. Like people get injured very very severely every single day, and they get prescribed this stuff, and it does it changes their life. But you very rarely actually hear what happens after that and even rarer I think people actually like turn it around in a way that's like meaningful and like decide to change their lives so let me let me ask you before we kind of touch on some of that other stuff what made you decide that okay like it's been three months or whatever why why do I change my life how do I change my life what's what's the what's the motivation I guess for you finally being like okay it's it's time yeah so by the time I had gotten to Boston at this point I had probably been to like 10 inpatient rehabs. Everyone was trying to, old sponsors are reaching out. How can we help family? It like, everyone is trying to help me and I am not wanting to help myself. I <clears throat> ended up at a program in Portland, Maine, showed up piss poor drunk. And they told me you can't come into this program. Uh, made it down to Boston at another program and I lasted like two days and being really on the streets there for, for those kind of three months, the, the problem with a lot of my addiction is, uh, I was actually a childhood actor in LA. Uh, so mm -hmm. like commercials and 
and TV stuff when I was a kid. So I had access to money, which was a big part of my downfall is I all had this kind of blanket to fall back into. So it was like my choice to be out on the streets with people. I mean, horrific people, criminals and uh, looking back on it, it is, I don't even recognize that person, but I had one person left in my life. My best childhood friend, Brianna Fox, um, her dad was my ski coach growing up. He was on the U.S. mobile ski team for many years, um, and he is in recovery. And I reached out to Brianna, and she was living in Portland, Oregon. And as kind of a last-ditch effort, I reached out to her. Um, I was really feeling it on the streets, and I knew I was dying. My my like liver was failing. My liver enzymes were like through the roof. Doctors are saying like, if you don't start stop drinking, you're gonna die. And I'm 21 years old. I'm barely legal uh, to drink. Um, so I fly out to Portland, Oregon, and unbeknownst to me, um, Brianna picks me up from the airport, and she had called her dad, who was you know like a like family to me, and he's in recovery. And we show up at her apartment, and he's sitting there, and he said, "You ready to get sober?" And I was like, "Oh fuck." Mm. And he drove me 24 hours straight from Portland, Oregon, back to my hometown in Southern California in Lake Arrowhead. And he's given me a shooter of vodka every 45 minutes so I don't seize up on him. Um, And that was the gnarliest drive of my life, like withdrawing from every drug you can imagine, alcohol. And we got back to my hometown and I hadn't spoken to my family in months. I had like cut them all off because uh, I was I didn't want to be clean. So at this point, my family had no idea if I was alive or dead. And I basically baked my dad to fly me. Uh, I was like, I'll, I'll I'll buy you a flight, Dad. I just need you to keep me sober on this flight from California back to the East coast. Cause I really wanted to go to this program in Maine, in Portland, Maine. And he, he decided to do that with me. Um, I gave him everything, my phone, wallet, everything. I didn't want any way to like sneak away and get alcohol. Cause I was the king of that. Uh, and I hopped on that flight with my dad and really didn't know if I was, ever going to truly be sober and get my life together. And I showed up and in, in landed in Boston and immediately was taken to like a hospital detox there because that flight was, I mean, I can't imagine the people sitting around me are like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? I'm like sweating and it's a bad scene. And yeah. so I get taken to the, the detox in Boston and, uh, eventually went over to um, a rehab in the middle of nowhere, Cantonbury, New Hampshire. Um, I was there for 90 days, and then the place in Maine, uh, Foundation House, is what like truly changed my life. They're like an outdoor adventure sort of rehab. They take like a totally different approach where you're like outside learning to like mm-hmm. love to play in the outdoors again and... Uh, 
So I was in that program for 19 months. Um, it's kind of like an extended care where you live in a house, you can like get a job and, um, yeah, it's not like lockdown, uh, every weekend, like going on these crazy adventures. And yeah, after 19 months, um, I had like found my love for photography and creative media. Again, that's like what my background was in. And, uh, the director of marketing was leaving the company and they needed somebody to come into the program and do marketing and creative work. And I was interning for them at the time and they kind of bumped me up to a full-time role, uh, doing all of their creative work. So it's pretty awesome. I was like, in the program, then left and worked for the program for several years and was paid to like go on these crazy adventures with these dudes and help them get clean and take photos and do the creative, have this creative outlet that I loved. Uh, and it was a totally life-changing experience. I, I like got back to skiing, which I never expected to happen. Uh, skiing really... <sighs> Skiing became something that I resented. Uh, it mm, didn't. I'm sure it didn't feel fun anymore. For so many years, you're like getting driven by coaches, and you're being told you need to be at this place at this time. And it was just like a run of the mill sort of situation. And I was starting to not enjoy skiing towards the end of competing, and. I finally felt like when I came back, it was like nobody was telling me I needed to be at the mountain at 5 a.m. And I was just showing up and skiing. And I was skiing at Sunday River and Sugarloaf uh, were kind of my two home mountains. And I was having a blast. And <clears throat> it was um, all in all living in Maine. And, and all the steps that came with that were totally life-changing. Um, I got to help people get clean. I got my life together, felt like I had a purpose again, um, that was outside of skiing. When, when skiing got taken away from me, it, I was like, what do I do now? Like my entire life has been dedicated to this one thing. What, like, what the hell do I do now? And felt like I had purpose again, like helping these, these young, <clears throat> young adults get, clean and get their life back together and like spread what was given to me onto them. And yeah, it was, uh, it was a life-changing experience and in, in a lot of ways. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's an insane story. Like it's, it's an insane process. It's an insane, it's insane that you're like, you've kind of made your way back into the industry and like you're working day to day, like in this, in this world again, like it's, uh, yeah. It's it's insane. Good for you, man. Like that's a that's a thing that not many people are actually able to pull off. And I think there that speaks a lot to who you are as a person too. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um it's uh <clears throat> you know, now I going from working in the industry, like working in the substance abuse and mental health industry is like not an easy thing. Um yeah. you deal with some pretty horrific stuff that you have to kind of take on as like not a caregiver, but you know, these people are, are looking to you for answers and put a lot of weight on you. And I'd finally felt like it was kind of my time to, to flee the nest 
for lack of a better term. And I came back to Colorado uh, where I'd started at CU Boulder and I finally decided to finish my degree. So I just graduated in, in December, finally as like a quadruple super duper senior. Uh, <laughs> graduated at 26 uh, in December. I got my degree in Really, the whole time in Colorado, I, I launched a creative and marketing agency. Uh, I started my podcast for, for years. People were like, you got to start a podcast telling all these wild stories. And I was like, all right. you know." So I launched the podcast uh, a few months ago, which was has been totally awesome. Uh, talking about recovery and, and my travel and skiing, and I've had awesome guests on. Um, I connected with, you know, people like Alex Schlopey, who's an awesome dude and skier that has a similar story to me. And, uh, I'm doing the fundraiser with him at, at Snowbird here on the 14th. And these, everything has just been aligning in these ways that I never thought were possible. Like this last week in AK, I'm standing on top of like the biggest coulars and spines I've ever seen in my life, <laughs> shitting bricks, thinking to myself, like, what have I got myself into? But there's no turning back now. Like, you're on top of the mountain. I'm like looking out at this endless range of mountains, <laughs> thinking, wow, six years ago, I was literally on the streets of Boston this time of year in the dead of winter, shooting every drug you can possibly imagine with some of the worst human beings you can imagine. And now I'm like standing on top of these coulards. Yeah. Everyone's looking at me like drop first and you hit the, you hit the radio and tell the filmer you're ready to drop and you better be ready. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's crazy, man. That's such a, that's so many changes to go through over the course of like a six year or whatever span. Like that's, uh, like you've lived like a whole life of experiences in just a few years. It feels like grabbing from what it sounds like. Yeah. Everyone keeps telling me that I'm a cat with nine lives and I am absolutely on my ninth life. Uh, <laughs> soak up this last one. <laughs> so, you know, I've when go ahead, go ahead. Um, I was just going to ask you, like when you're, when you're coming out of recovery and you're starting to feel good and then you start working with people who are in these programs and in similar situations, is that like, how did that make you feel? And how, I guess my question too, is like, okay, you see these people that are going through it, like you were going through it at one point, like, what is, does that make you feel good? Does that make you feel too close to it? Like that, I'm always curious to see when people turn it around and they start to go to the other side and they're like, all right, let me help out these people that are going through things that I was like, is it a, is it just a good thing for you? Obviously it's a good thing for them is like the trauma aspect of it. Something that comes into your head all the time. Like what, what makes you decide like, okay, I, I can help. And this is a thing that I should do. Yeah. It's, it's funny. That's a, a question that I was asked a lot over the years there, I think it's a lot more helpful to the individuals that are struggling than it is for like myself or an employee of a rehab. Uh, everyone always thinks like, like when I call my folks and I tell them like, 
you know, I'm moving back to Colorado. They're like, oh no, like he's leaving the nest. Like what's going to happen? He's not working like in the industry. And at the end of the day, um, you have to like work on your recovery yourself. Working in the industry is not keeping me sober. Um, that is not what kept me from doing drugs and falling back into my old ways. Um, you know, the something that we would say all the time, uh, like in Alcoholics Anonymous, the first step is acknowledging that that we have a problem and that's about the only thing that working in the industry made me realize is that each day you see somebody coming in and they are in the roughest shape they'll ever be in their life. And it is a, a constant and kind of good reminder that I never want to get back there. Like that, yeah. that right there is where I was six years ago and I never want to be in that seat again. I've been in that hot seat where you walk into a rehab and you are you can't even see straight. You're the sickest you'll ever be in your life and everyone's looking at you and they're doing your vitals and all that and I would constantly think to myself like, man, I am incredibly grateful to be where I am today. So working in the industry was helpful in that sense. Um, <clears throat> the sad fact of the matter is like 98% of people that go into rehab will relapse. There's like a 2% success rate for long-term recovery, uh, mm -hmm. which is like on your first go around. So yeah, I ended up going to like 17 inpatient rehabs. Um, University of Colorado Boulder uh, student health insurance, my God, they were just total kings uh, in Queens. And somehow paid for me to go to all of these rehabs because I had surely blown through all of my money and my family was not financially able or wanting to support anymore, um, which I do not blame them at all. But, you know, it, it took a lot of me falling off the wagon and getting back on to realize like, yep, there is... There's no maintenance program. There's no California sober. There's no drinking or smoking weed and not doing opiates. Like I, I need total abstinence. So yeah. I, to answer your question, working in the industry was a fulfilling thing watching the success. Mm -hmm. I took on a lot of traumatic instances. Um, sure. I have revived quite a few people that were blue as ever um, overdosing on opiates and hitting them with naltrexone and opiate blockers to try and save their life and um, I have seen people off their lithium and in totally manic episodes 200 miles from civilization out in the wilderness on these crazy backpacking trips that we hosted with this company and um, a lot of, you take on a lot of the burden. Um, and I felt like I had, I had done my time and, and helped a lot of people and helped myself and it was ready to move on. But 
it was it was a lot. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't change it for the world, but yeah, I will not be going back into the industry and will more use my platform, my podcast, the company to try and inspire some people that recovery is possible. If yeah, I mean, I was about as bad as it gets. You, like unrecognizable human being. Um, in, in 2016, 2017, 2015, I was like in a shell of a human. And if I can inspire one person to not shoot heroin today or do fentanyl or take a pull from the bottle, that, that feels like a win to me. So instead of doing it through the official medical way, I I try and do that through my podcast and and kind of all of my endeavors. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's a great thing, especially because like this industry has a lot of substance abuse issues. Like it just, and I don't know what exactly it is. I've never been able to pinpoint any one thing, but it's it's like the highs and lows of skiing are very similar in a lot of ways to like the highs and lows that people chase all out all throughout their life, and I think it it does promote some of that behavior, some of that addiction in a way. And it's, it it is a really good thing to have people that are willing to go out there and talk about it and share their story and be like, okay, look, like, I know this sounds like just another story, but it's like, it's a real thing. It's happened. And like, this is how I did it. Like, I think, I think that's extremely valuable to people that are that are going through it or even at the very beginning stages of that, you know, like, and they're just like realizing like, okay, I'm falling off a little bit right now. Like, I think it's good to hear the experiences of someone else sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you, do you like, like, how do you feel when you talk about those experiences now? Right? Like, do you feel like that is still you like that did all of those things? Or do you feel like it was just this different person altogether that had made these decisions that you're not going to go back to, you know, like, cause it's a weird thing because you're, you're in this world where it's basically taken over your whole life for a period of time. And then I imagine you get sober and you look back on it and you're like, what the fuck, you know? So like you, you, you tell me like, what does that feel like talking about it now? Like, how do you feel about yourself then? Yeah, it's, it spent a lot of years hating myself for the person that I was. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of regret and heartache and hurting so many people involved in my life that I spent the better half of kind of the first two, three years of getting sober like, wow, I was a total piece of shit. Mm -hmm. To my friends, to you know, romantic relationships to my family, to everyone in my life. Um, I did, you know, the unfortunate thing about addiction is you put it before everything. It is this sick disease number of mind that completely takes over and trying to explain it to what we call in recovery normies, just like a normal human being is it's unexplainable. I 
I really found myself starting to love myself again and, and everything I was doing when I got back to the things that I loved, like skiing and, and creative media. And I was starting to find that purpose again. And I don't look back at my past as anything that I... I wouldn't change anything about it because it's totally shaped who I am as a person. And it's weird. The first like several episodes of my podcast was kind of like laying the the groundwork and, and talking a lot about the gritty details of, of my past and my ski career and everything involved in it. And I was telling my, my producer Naveed, like I have told my story so many countless times, like being a guest speaker at like other rehabs or people would ask me to come speak at like conferences for addiction and mental health. And it almost felt like rudimentary. Uh, and, you know, you tailor certain things for certain audiences, but this podcast has given me the the ability to, I, you know, I can say whatever I want. And I, yeah, exactly. It has been such a rewarding experience for me to just be able to be unapologetically myself with my story. And I, talking about it now actually makes me feel like I'm letting like a lot off my chest. And the amount of mm. support that we've received from people around the world, like reaching out. I had a kid in France recently that just had a spinal injury and reached out to me and was like, your podcast is like getting me through the recovery and asking me questions about, you know, what I did to rehab my back. And a girl in France reached out to me who was in a car accident and a similar thing and addiction and had a spinal cord injury and all of these things. And it's like, it's crazy the the impact that it's made on some people and that at the end of the day is is why I tell my story. So uh maybe after I record a podcast, I sit there and I'm in my head for a little bit like, Oh my god, that was Yeah. <laughs> that was heavy. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, like I said, I'm I'm doing everything that I'm doing today that I, I hope I can inspire one person uh, to not pick up a drink and get back to doing the things that they love because recovery is possible if I'm a testament uh, to somebody and they can see some guiding light in that, then awesome. Um, so to answer your question, uh, it's really good sharing my story now it's not tailored i'm just letting it all out and uh you know it's basically like my own little therapy i i do have yeah. a therapist my therapist hears a lot of this uh yeah yeah i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> what so talk to me now about okay like you're you're sort of removed from it at this point like obviously it still plays a big factor still plays a big part in your life right now but what how do you go back and kind of mend some of those relationships that were ruined at the time? Some of those people in your life that you really cared about that, you know, this hurt, like, what is, what does that look like now 
as you start to go back, like, and you're you're almost backtracking with a lot of that stuff, I imagine. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that was a a very long process and a process I probably will be dealing with for the rest of my life. Um, you know, a lot of my addiction, you don't even know who you're affecting. You're just like a a wrecking ball, and the only thing in sight is the drugs and alcohol. And if mm-hmm. someone or something gets in the way, you are taking them down. And yeah, uh, it, it's been a really cool experience. You know, getting back the trust of my family took a really long time. Uh, and it's been a, it's been a really incredible experience. Um, you know, I missed a lot of big events in close family's life. Uh, you know, I was in rehab for my brother Taylor's wedding, which I regretted. Um, I wasn't there for my nieces and nephews and now looking back on it, um, Everything that I do in my life, I hope continues to be kind of my amends that this is who I am as a person now and and go out of my way to just make people feel heard. Uh, I felt like for so long, I was kind of like screaming like, guys, please just listen for a second. I know you probably won't understand this, but nobody truly understands like the power of addiction until you've, you've been in the driver's seat of it. And everything that I do today is kind of my living amends, uh, to those people. I've had old friends of mine reach out that I thought would never speak to me again. And, you know, starting to mend those relationships and, and be there for those people. Uh, I have, I constantly tell people I have an open door policy like doesn't matter reach out to me it about anything um but tons of people reach out to me uh about addiction and and asking for advice with loved ones and you know as much as i wanted to separate myself from the substance abuse and mental health industry it's i've got a lot of connections in that world and i get calls probably on a weekly basis from people and you know asking got a cousin I need to get into rehab then what do I do and so all those things are kind of my living amends and my family's back in my life um my brother just had a kid a few days ago and I was able to be like present and 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 you know I was standing on top of a mountain in AK and somehow had service and I'm getting a FaceTime and I'm like hold up I'm not going to see this line real quick. I got to see this little baby. And, you know, just, (laughs) and instead of being in some crazy back alley at three in the morning in Boston, I was able to be present and, and be there for my brother and, and see this little kid come into the world and, um, be present for a lot of events and, and important people's lot important people to me's lives so it's been a long process and kind of, yeah i call it my living amends um instead of going back to somebody and being like i'm sorry i was a terrible person yeah. it's more i'm trying to show that everything that i'm doing is is my giving back and my sorry for 
everything I did. And the, you know, it was funny. I, in a podcast episode recently, I told a story about how I crap, I stole my roommate's car to go pick up drugs. I had a seizure at the wheel and drove the car through a church in downtown Boulder at rush hour, took the car right into a church. And I never thought that this girl, Alex, my roommate, who was a very close friend of mine, would ever speak to me again. And I posted that podcast and she listens to it and she reached out to me and was like, I'm so proud of you and everything that you're doing. And uh, I I was blown away that she would even speak to me. Um, so those are kind of the examples of people are have come back into my life i've made an effort to come back into other people's lives and it's um it's been a a really cool process yeah for sure yeah it's it's funny like i think you don't necessarily think about how people are reacting when somebody's going through that stuff yeah i got a dm from a guy recently that was like in response to like a clip i posted of a skier and he was like yeah that guy that guy's got problems. He's got issues. Like he's fucked me over so many times, like, and people are glorifying his skiing, but they have no idea, like the stuff that he's going through. And I'm like, Oh, like, all right. Like, this is how, this is how people are reacting. Just seeing these people that have these, that are going through it, like have these experiences on a regular basis, like to go into like, open up to me about someone that you care about like clearly you're very bothered by it clearly it is having a an insane impact on your day-to-day of just seeing a clip is is getting you to the point where you're like okay i need to i need to say something to someone who has no idea about the the context of this relationship at all yeah it's just it's just how it goes but it's nice to hear that like okay like these things can be mended over time and like you can kind of take accountability and I think you're doing it the right way where it's like yeah I'm not just going to go and say sorry yeah sure sorries are part of it but like actually doing things on a day-to-day basis that show that you're doing the work that show that you're you've changed and you're like all right this is this is what I'm going to do now yeah exactly so I think I think that's awesome thanks what of course dude um what is this event that you guys have going on at Snowbird tomorrow? Yeah, so Valentine's Day tomorrow. Um, this actually, like, this all fell into my lap in a, an interesting way. Um, so fellow pro skier, Jenna Henry, she's based here in Salt Lake. Uh, she somehow got sent my podcast uh, from one of her friends and randomly reached out to me just kind of on a whim was like, Hey, I do this fundraiser every year called the ski for change at snowbird. She's, she rides for snowbird. Uh, and she was like, I would love to come on your podcast and talk about my history of like mental health and my suicide attempts. And I was like, this is exactly what I'm trying to do. Like, so it kind of all fell into my lap about, Three months ago, I had her on the podcast, and this whole thing kind of started to get bigger and bigger. So the Ski-Thon for Change is a fundraiser that we're doing for the American Suicide Prevention Foundation Utah chapter. Uh, they'll have some tents down at the tram, and and kind of the point of the fundraiser is 
we are skiing as many laps off the tram and down the cirque as we can in in one day. So we're meeting all meeting at the tram at like 8 a.m. And based on how many laps we ski, uh, so it's myself, Jenna Henry, and Alex Schlopey. Um, Alex also came into my life through the podcast, uh, which was like a kind of a crazy moment for me because I literally had a poster of Alex Schlopey like over my bed when I was like a kid. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, X Games guy in all these films, and I've got like a poster in my childhood bedroom of this guy and. You know, he kind of fell off the scene and nobody knew what was going on. And it was to do with mental health and addiction and suicide attempts. And uh, so he and I got connected and he came on the podcast and I'm like, Alex, we got to get you in this fundraiser. And so it's the three of us skiing as many laps as possible on the Cirque. Uh, Jenna did 20 laps last year, which after 10 days in AK, I need like Yesterday was a rest and recovery day. Today, I'm like hitting the gym, getting ready, <laughs> on a steam room. I I need a whole lot of everything. Uh, and so donors are donating to the American Suicide Prevention Foundation uh, based on how many laps we do. So some people are like, I'll donate 25 bucks for every run that you guys do, or I'll donate 50 bucks for every run that you guys do. And we've gotten like a huge amount of support from people. Um, they're setting up like booths at the tram where people can come chat with us about like take a tram lap with us, hop on the tram with us. We'll talk about the event and our struggles in mental health and suicide and substance use. And uh, some representatives from the nonprofit will be there with a tent and Snowbird has just been a godsend, like putting this all together for us. And a ton of my sponsors and Jenna's sponsors got involved. So Ski Utah will be there. Uh, Jenna and I are on the Steo team. So Steo's like donating a bunch of like hard goods for like a raffle at the end and Pret Helmets and Zeal, Dahu Ski Boots, all these brands like were stoked to get involved in this. So this whole thing like started as like a out of nowhere Instagram DM to be a guest on the podcast that blew up into this like whole thing. Um, so I I better get this body ready in <laughs> laps because <laughs> I am yeah, yeah you're gonna be dust <laughs> you're gonna be dust by the end of the day yeah. Yes, that's how it goes. That's awesome, man. Like, I think that's a really cool thing, and I, and I hope people show up to support. And obviously, like, we'll share links and all that stuff so that we can get try to push some people that way as well. Awesome. Yeah, it is uh, the you know the whole point of this thing is not really to make money for the nonprofit, and you know it is because it helps, but really just start the conversation. As you mentioned, this industry is you ski hard all day and party harder all night. And that is what yeah. the ski industry is pushed in every ski film from here until forever uh, and shies away from this, you know, topic of of mental health and substance use that affects a lot of people in the industry. Uh, yeah. So that's the point of this is just it starts the conversation. 
and maybe it'll create some change. Um, I can't say a whole lot about this, but Jenna, Alex, and I um, have a film coming fall of 2025 uh, called Streets to Peaks. So it's a story about my rise and or my fall and rise back to skiing and Alex's journey through being X Games gold medalist to being arrested and attempting suicide and same thing with Jenna and so we've been we filmed a ton in AK uh and yeah it's a two year project and we come in in 2025 we're really going against the grain of the industry and just continuing to push this narrative of like yo let's talk about this. This is something that needs to be spoken about. And yeah, so yeah, there will be a lot more info coming out on that. Um, and then, yeah, that's, uh, that's about everything I've got going on. Uh, yeah, my podcast falling off the floor has, has been awesome. So if people want to come in and, listen and learn about my story and recovery and substance use um and the ski industry and travel and everything um yeah that's my my podcast falling off the floor so awesome um and i won't keep you too much longer i just want to get a couple things out of you here like what where do people find you personally on instagram like where do people reach out to you where can people connect with you that that kind of thing i think is is an awesome way for people to kind of get in touch with you and and tell you that they appreciate hearing your story yeah for sure so my my instagram is at the skier guy super simple t h e s k i e r g u y um I've had, I somehow got that tag when I was like 10 years old and uh, <laughs> I've had it ever since. So I'm just the skier guy. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. You can find the podcast there. Um, and then like our creative marketing agency is Mountain Born Media. Uh, so that's just at MTN uh, Born Media. That's, we are, we're a creative agency that we work specifically in the outdoor industry, so we've been working with some awesome brands doing video, photo, graphic, web work, um, which has also been a dream of mine for a long time. And I partnered with some really cool people in the industry to kind of make this dream a reality. Um, so you can find us there at Mountain Born Media on Instagram, and the podcast is falling off at falling off the floor. Uh, but yeah, my personal one where all my ski content goes and all my crazy antics is the skier guy. And uh, yeah, this is this is a wild season for me. I've I've been on the road the last month and a half and will be on the road until the end of March. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, my body is feeling it. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Yeah. Um, awesome, dude. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to tell your story a little bit here. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I mentioned, you know, anyone that's listening to this, uh, can reach out to me. I'm, I've got an open door policy on, on Instagram. Doesn't matter who you are. Just reach out. I, I always have a, an ear to listen and, and hope that I can inspire just a little bit of hope and maybe one person from this to, to go out and do something great today. So 
Awesome. Thank you, dude. Yeah.